All right, let's do it. Hey, uh, primordial, or how, how should we how should we call you? Yeah, m m most people say primo. Primo, okay, awesome. Nice to meet you, Primo. Um, yeah, this has been a long time coming. I think we've uh, been following Layer Zero for a while, and really excited to have you here today. Yeah, um, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, why don't we? Uh, uh, so let me just give a, some background. So our our Alpha League, uh, we like to run this kind of as a uh, fireside chat style where, um, you know, it used to be just an internal research call where we talk about uh, trending narratives and the things we can learn internally as M6. But later on, we figured out that it's just public good. It's, it's you know, public ideas. So might as well spread this message to everywhere. And then we start inviting people and it turned into um, the Twitter space slash podcast now. So um yeah layer zero omni chain we've been following and and really have seen a lot of growth uh past even two weeks i would say very explosive lots of projects and um yeah and uh what, who better to have on than uh primo yourself so uh why don't we start with um introduction from your side and um uh, how did you you know get into the uh, layer zero uh, what do you do there and what is layer zero all about yeah sure i'm uh you know brian uh aka primo uh one of three founders of layer zero labs uh so i'm the acting ceo um what let's see how did we get into it uh we got into it just just you know through the heart of technologists, uh, we have been building things together for 16 years now. We're just trying to build something cool. Uh, when Binance Smart Chain was kind of first coming into uh, kind of into the public eye, um, and we were trying to build something like, oh, that seems cool. Like, let's design something kind of interesting between these two chains. Realized there was no real way to do that and ultimately ended up building something ourselves that was, uh, you know, kind of a, a toy implementation at first, but then very quickly realized that like the general message passing part of the whole thing was, was like the much broader problem to work on. So um, yeah. And you know, that's, that's how we got into it is just, just, just building, building cool things, building fun things and ultimately finding a problem that you can't, you know, turn your, turn your attention away from. Um, and then, you know, what layer zero is layer zero is a general messaging layer. Um, so most people think about this space, they think about bridging, they think about, you know, taking value, some asset from chain A to chain B. Um, which can be built on top of layer zero, but you can also do a bunch of other really cool things. So, you know, something that launched recently was this ghostly ghost NFT. Um, and, you know, that that has nothing to do with, with pure bridging with value transfer. You actually have the ability to move the ghost directly in the token and they were minted on seven chains at once and you can move them around all seven chains. So generic messaging is kind of like this, this core primitive that allows you to do much more uh, than just bridging. Awesome. Thank you for the intro. Um, I think I've also seen like tiny dinos and then um, even today I saw this like Omni mosquitoes. That was, that's just, uh, that's 
So yeah, I, I think I think I think post ghost there there must be I I don't know my my Twitter gets tagged all day now yeah so I, you know I think there must be at least fifty new ones since then wow. uh, but some some people some people are starting to do uh, you know some some cool stuff so cool um, yeah so I think um, it's been a long time coming that we 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 see something actually cross chain as a solution instead of uh, just multi chain bridging assets so. Uh, why don't we, you know, go from there a little bit and and uh, talk about how you guys are doing it from a, you know, brief overview and then what this, what kind of cool use case this unlocks. Yeah, so, I mean, how we're doing it is, there's, it depends, I guess, you tell me how technical you want to get, how, how we're doing it or like what is happening, right, is rather than this bridge construct is you have arbitrary contract invocation. So you have one thing happening on one chain in a contract and something happening on another. This could be uh, lock on one chain and mint on the other and burn and redeem like your traditional bridge works. You could build that on layer zero quite easily. Uh, this could be collateralize on one chain and borrow on another. This could be uh, add to one pool and subtract from another. That's how Stargate works. Uh, this could be you're playing a game and you have done something, you've earned some achievement and you're going to tell some other chain about it and updating your status or mutating your NFT or doing, you know, whatever this cool thing is. Um, so you can really do anything, right? Think about it like you think about packets on the internet and kind of what can you do uh, with a simple packet? Well, <laughs> the internet has shown us you can do basically anything, right? Um, so you can build anything on top of this. You can do anything, um, and kind of the nuance lies in, in what people are building and how they're building. And then obviously we have all these cool things where you can, like one of the really nice features is the ability to bundle up transactions. You can have this really complex series of transactions across two different chains where you're doing all, you know, you're unstaking and swapping and initiating a bridge and claiming a bridge and swapping and staking again. Um, and you can bundle all of that up. So normally the user would have to do six different transactions. They'd have to have source gas. They'd have to have destination gas. They'd have to switch their wallet. They'd have to do all of these different steps, jump to all these different UIs. Now you can have that entire flow live in one single transaction. So the user signs one transaction. This whole flow gets executed. They've only had gas on the source chain. So they don't need both source and destination gas. And that opens up like a huge space in terms of, um, I guess, design space for applications and how they're building. This allows you to have wallets where the user doesn't even know, need to know what chain they're on, uh, but they can interact with any chain. This allows you to do NFT marketplaces where you can buy from any chain, you can move to any chain. Uh, there's all these things now where, where you have the ability to sort of unlock the space of DeFi uh, within each ecosystem without needing to treat them all as completely separate. Oh, okay. I, I took a minute to digest that. Yeah, that, that, um, unlocking DeFi, um, across like based on use case and making them composable based on use case, not based on ecosystem chain is, is, uh, definitely very interesting. Um, so I guess uh, we covered, you know, um, arbitrary calling from one chain to another. Like, how, how is this achieved? Like, uh, is there some, what, what's running in the middle there? 
Yeah, okay. So from a technical perspective, what actually happens is that you are taking some block state, right? So the way that we do it, there's, there's a bunch of different ways you could do this, but basically you need to pass data from chain A to chain B. So we do this by breaking apart the block into two pieces. This is kind of the ultra, ultra light node construct. So we take the block header, which has the uh, receipt true, and we take the transaction proof. So for EVM, that's a Merkle Patricia tree. And you move those both to the destination chain, submit them on chain, you do the walks, you walk the transaction proof up to the root, validate that's a valid transaction, and then you pass the message on the destination chain. Now, um, how you still need to actually move this data itself, right? There's no way the chains themselves can communicate together or can move the data on their own. So we have this system of what we call oracles and relayers. Um, Again, happy to sort of dive into the security concepts behind that and why that's important. But ultimately what's happening is there's one, there's two systems. You don't even need to think of them as oracles and relayers. There's two systems. One is passing this block, uh, block header state. Uh, one is passing this transaction proof and then they both get validated on the other side. But at its core layer zero, like this is just one validation library within layer zero of which there could be, you know, hundreds or thousands. So, uh, this is not necessarily kind of the defining construct of layer zero. Layer zero is, is more generalized. It's more this sort of lightweight, extensible, modular uh, messaging primitive. Okay, so it's breaking it down. It's pretty much two parts. It's a part of um, one, uh, you know, the issuing chain, the chain one has this... Uh, um has its tree it's 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 more proof generated and then it on the destination chain it, it verifies it and then whatever data needs to move over there's a um kind of decentralized network in the middle that handles it yeah roughly roughly okay. uh, and yeah in 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 the proof there's this payload so you're passing some some generic bytes array that's a payload that's being interpreted on the other side um the, you know, I guess if we're going to dive into the technical side of things, uh, Oracle, yeah. Well, you you tell me. Do you want to dive into the technical side or not? Uh, I mean, I just I just need to know it works. Uh, it sounds like it works. It works. Um, it to works. be honest, awesome. So, okay, um, then yeah, we're we're more. I think the, the more awful for the for us and the public as well would be like solutions. Like, what kind of cool solutions you see this unlocking? I think you already said. Um, uh, Unlocking DeFi composability across chains, you know, I, I think right out of the gate, you know, you could do like a, like a, any sort of um, multi-chain uh, decks, they can balance the same assets, kind of liquidity across pools and balance the yield farming um, automatically as well. Um, but uh, curious if, um, you know, what, how you guys envisioned to be built on this. Yeah, I mean, I think for us, again, we're more focused on like really building the base primitive that anything can be built on top of. So we've already been surprised. Like Ghostly Ghost was entirely unexpected from us. That did not come from us. We had no relationship with them. And they told us just like right before they were launching, like, hey, we built this thing and we're going to launch it. And I said, oh, wow. You know, we looked at the contracts we said, this is, this is really cool. Um, and so 
you know, seeing what people build themselves has been awesome. But then and things we've always been internally excited about. We put out a demo back in November, I think it was, that was showing basically the ability to take Stargate, take this liquidity transfer layer and have some decks wrap it and create sort of a asset A on chain X, asset B on chain Y experience cross chain. So uh, Sushi just passed the vote for integration there. So now you have this ability, uh, or soon you will, on Sushi to, to you know swap from any asset on any chain to any asset on any other chain. You can basically immediately unlock Omnichain at the DeFi layer. The ability to stop using wrapped assets, which is like a huge security risk. So you know whether this is the Ronin hack or many of the others, you have this issue with wrapped assets where if you have, you know, and, and sometimes they're in, inevitable, right? If you have, well, Broadly, the issue with wrapped assets is this. You lock up an asset on chain A, you mint a synthetic asset on chain B, and the people use the synthetic asset on chain B. Problem is that if you have $10 billion or $100 billion of outflow from chain A to chain B, you have now in that contract $100 billion of standing risk forever. As long as those assets are issued wherever they go, uh, you know, that risk stands permanently. If there's an issue with the consensus mechanism, with the contracts, with anything, this was a wormhole hack, this was a Ronin hack, this all the others, there's that risk that's permanently there. Uh, and then now you, you sort of daisy chain that risk where, okay, now you take the same asset and you move it from, you know, let's say you went from ETH to Polygon and now you go from Polygon to Phantom and now you go from Phantom to Solana and now you have like three constructs of, of risk basically living across this daisy chain. And the user on the other end doesn't even necessarily know like how much risk they're inheriting. But more broadly is just the standing risk within the system. And so, um, you know, that like that is the big issue with wrapped assets. So that's one of the things we're really excited about with Stargate was the ability to to take a model away from that. Now you could bridge $100 billion from chain A to chain B. And you could, you know, assuming you're incentivizing like the rebalancing of these pools and you could do it with only 100, 200 million in each pool, like pretty trivially. And you just balance them as you go. And that means you never have more than that $200 million of standing risk, despite the $100 billion outflow. So now you can have the same exact total outflow, the same amount of volume bridged in the same amount of outflow from system A to system B. And you can do it with, you know, a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of the overall risk. But then when, when you can't, so you can do that when you have native assets. You can do that when you have USDC issued by Circle on all of these chains. And that's kind of like what Stargate does. When you can't do that is when you have gas assets. So like there's no contract that will mint you Ethereum on Solana, right? It's just, there is no contract that will mint you Ethereum anywhere else. So the only way that you can have ETH anywhere else is to do this, lock up your ETH and mint a synthetic on the other side. This is WETH, this is wrapped ETH, this is wrapped SOL, wrapped LUNA, wrapped everything, right? So this is like the construct for, for native gas assets and there's really no way to get around it. But the real question is, do you actually need to have SOL on Polygon, on Avalanche, on Ethereum? Like, do you really need to have your Solana there? Does it make any sense or are fragmenting liquidity in the ecosystem to do that? My argument is that it makes zero sense to have Sol on any chain other than Solana. And what people actually want is they want to leverage the lending. They want to leverage the spending power of their Sol. So what you really want is the ability to collateralize your Sol on Solana 
and borrow against it on another chain, right? If you wanted to, you would just, um, you know, if you wanted whatever asset, if you didn't want your soul, you'd just sell it. You'd sell it to USDC, you'd sell it to whatever, and you'd bring that to another chain. But what these people want is they want Sol and they, they're doing it because they want to leverage their Sol holdings while still keeping Sol exposure. So what you want is the ability to collateralize Sol on Solana and borrow against it on another chain, collateralize ETH on Ethereum and borrow against it on another chain, right? And so when you have generic messaging, this becomes very, very easy and this completely removes the need for wrapped assets at all. Okay, I I think I understood that point roughly. It's it's basically multi chain versus cross chain, right? It's uh, it's people don't need the uh, assets on different chains for just for the sake. It's just more um, uh, kind of a different different pool of of, of people and and uh, liquidity to tap into and um not that uh the asset needs to move over so as long as you can interact it's not a you don't have to bear the the risk and the the um fragmenting the liquidity like you said um okay so um yeah i i mean uh luke what do you think i think um we can kind of uh, branch off from there yeah um <clears throat> yeah so sorry I'm, I'm trying to i'm still comprehending the the lending uh <laughs> lending it out instead of having synthetic wrapped assets so uh yeah excuse me um, um <laughs> yeah i think um i i've heard uh kind of uh vitalik even on a podcast like um and multiple people have said like it's future is multi-chain but not cross-chain and um obviously there's there's a strong argument for the other side as well um so yeah like i'm, I'm curious uh where you thoughts on this i'll try to find the the, the original kind of main arguments no, I, that, I, uh... yeah, I, I i know the tweet uh it's his end game post i, I made mm -hmm. a big thread on this so yeah it's ultimately exactly what i was just talking about in that vitalik thinks about the world through ethereum right so he thinks about eth and i completely agree with him that wrapped assets suck and that you don't want to have this existential permanent risk of this wrapped asset that's locked up forever right so when you have the ability to have like oft where you have native assets where you have things like stargate uh or when you have the ability again to remove the need to actually have the wrapped assets a lot of those arguments go away but in the current construct of wrapped assets i agree it's a huge existential risk to every ecosystem okay makes sense um uh so yeah maybe we can talk about more uh kind of solution side um so obviously there's stargate that's already been built um and uh there are community built projects um ghostly goes it's pretty much just a, just an idea it's completely cc0 um are there any kind of exciting stuff you're already seeing in the uh you know leveraging layer zero Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think, you know, they're, they're, 
it's coming, I would say. Uh, I think we had like 500 plus contracts deployed on testnet prior to launching. And that's like accelerated pretty rapidly post-launch. There are a lot of teams, some who have publicly announced, many who have not, uh, who are building right now. Uh, some of, I think like the broad tranches are basically DeFi, NFTs and gaming, and then TradFi. And yeah. then there's also this construct of like, um, you know, not pure DeFi, but like marketplaces, right? So marketplaces, wallets, uh, those sort of like service providers. Um, and I think there are a lot of exciting sort of things within each one of those groups uh, that people are doing. So uh, I'm happy to, to dive into sort of any of those. But yeah, I, I think there's a ton of really cool stuff. Awesome. Um and uh, in terms of kind of how you plan to build out this ecosystem, are you um, going to issue any grants? And and, and um, are you coming at it with a similar playbook of a layer one? Or um, are you kind no, of partnering so, with... Yeah, yeah. De de definitely not. So I think one of the big things that happens with all of these layer ones right now is that you have this issue where you launch some great new $600 million grant program and you have a bunch of devs who just take kind of the most interesting projects on Ethereum. They fork them on your chain and they say, you know, please give me five to $10 million. Right. Uh, you get like really mercenary developers in general, you get a very uh, anemic and sort of mercenary uh, set of like users that are driven by that. Cause the people then take, the money that they're given and they then, you know, hand out some of that to the users and users and TVL flood in. And then, you know, uh, it just, everybody is like, everybody's mercenary. Everybody's chasing after some explicit reward. Uh, and I don't think that's the way to build like an organic ecosystem. So we have very intentionally chosen not to do that. We will definitely have a grants program at some point in time. Um, but, you know, the goal right now is to actually get people who are interested in building something real on top of this technology. Who are interested in really building awesome solutions. And those teams, we try to work as closely as we possibly can. Uh, we try to build something that will be net beneficial to them, right? They're building on it not because they're getting some artificial reward. They're building on it because they think they're going to build something that's completely different or better than what exists right now. Um, and so for us, yeah, it's, it's really been that we're hugely focused on, it's the same way we've spent zero dollars on marketing promotion. We've given no like influencer allocations, anything like that. Like everything we've done, the goal has to been to be completely organic and it has been to basically get garner like real genuine interest and traction in what we're doing and what we're building and why it's important and I think we're trying to attract that sort of same group of developers. Uh, so there, there is no like ecosystem fund. There's no grants program. There's anything. There's just a really cool piece of technology with awesome people building it and awesome people building around it. And like the goal is just scale that. That's awesome. Uh, I, I really, I thought that point of, you know, um, forking just because chains have so much money, they just kind of do what's best for their their ecosystem's sake but not for sake of creating something cool and it's just they're pretty much hiring developers to build 
somewhat of a application stack on their own chain, but they're funding all that and all the holders fund that. And, and in the end, it's it's just very PVP. So um, yeah, definitely like if now someone comes to me and with a, comes to us with a, you know, we're building on layer zero, then we're, we're kind of assuming that, okay, it's, it's definitely a different recipe that they're starting with. So that's definitely um, uh, looking forward to more projects. Uh, going at it in this direction. Um, yeah, so a uh, big part of our, our usual calls is like we kind of go through um, the entire crypto ecosystem as well relating to our, our guests' um, knowledge. So that's kind of the alpha league part and uh, we don't want it to be just all about, um, you know, one project. But um, yeah, I think we'll have some talking points on those as well. And um, I mean, like there are, uh, for me personally, there, there's been, um, other, you know, semi like cross chain ecosystems that, that, um, at least they market themselves as, I, I wonder like, uh, what your th thoughts are, uh, on some of them. Um, cause I know there's, um, not arbitrary, but there's like cross chain swaps that are being built. Um, uh is this like aside from just um you know the, the fundamental layer being different um is there any kind of uh advantage of using let's say stargate versus something built on wormhole as a cross-chain swap is there a, a kind of yeah. major difference I, I mean i think the the answer i usually give to this question and i try you know most most other uh you know most other projects that I've seen out there in terms of this space have, are super disparaging. Like they're in the weeds. They're out trying to talk bad about everybody else. Like we don't really do that. We don't, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to build, we're focused on what we're building and like trying to build the best possible thing. Not necessarily like just why everybody else is, you know, more or less terrible or like not, not exceptionally great. Um, but broadly, uh, the thing I say is just like, just, just use it. Just go like a very simple task, right? Go bridge USDC on wormhole from Solana to Ethereum. And what mm -hmm. your experience will be is you'll click like eight times on the Solana side. You'll sign eight different transactions on Solana. You'll wait. You'll have to switch your wallet to Ethereum wallet. You'll have to get ETH in that wallet. So leave, go to some centralized exchange, get ETH, put it in the wallet claim your transaction on the other side. And once you've done that, you will have wormhole wrapped USDC, which has zero liquidity anywhere. And there's literally nothing that you can do with it. You've realized you've made a terrible mistake and you will unwind the process and do the whole thing in reverse. And so like, even from a user perspective, that sucks. Like that's just not a great experience, but now try building that flow into an application. Like, yeah, I'm sure SushiSwap or whatever wallet like wants to have to, prompt their user 20 different times and teach them how to switch wallets and how to get that asset in the wallet and do all of these things, right? All of those things are really burdensome. When we think about how we're building these things, we think about making it as accessible as humanly possible for both the developers and for the consumers. So for executing the same thing in the demo that we, we showed back in November, the user signs one transaction, the whole flow gets executed and the asset is dropped into their wallet on the other side. That is what Sushi will be integrating. Stargate, same thing. One transaction. You want to go ETH to Solana. As soon as we enable Solana, 
you are not going to need to have both ETH and SOL in your wallet. You will have one or the other, you will sign one transaction and the whole flow will be executed. And that is always the goal. The goal is moving, like ask any dev who's built on us. And I, there's been huge, huge tweet threads about this, about just how easy it is. We have tried to make that process as accessible as humanly possible. Um, and then just just use it, right? Use Stargate, use anything. And like from the consumer perspective, we're trying to make something where people can build that next Robin Hood of crypto style consumer experience, something where people don't need to be as um, educated as they are right now, right? I've been in the space since 2013. I know how to use this stuff. When I'm trying to teach somebody else how to use this stuff, it's hard. Uh, people don't like this flow is messy when you're talking about onboarding gaming, when you're talking about onboarding hundreds of millions of users who have never used this stuff before, we need something better than what exists now. And that, you know, that's really what we're trying to build. That makes sense. I've, I've gone through that process before, um, even on, um, a cross string swap that, that, uh, aggregated across, um, Texas on, you know, originated and destination chains it, it's still like five transactions i think is the least i've seen um on top of wormhole it was smooth enough for me even like solana to i think eth but if my mom <clears> is <throat> to do this it's not gonna happen so uh if you're able to do just one transaction on the originating side then that's a that's pretty much just like moving on the same chain so that that's cool uh primo one question that i had um about uh just other layer zeros is uh are you familiar with octopus and their their app chains and how they they relay uh liquidity to other apps uh do you see a future for this or do you think this falls into the cross chain um yeah cross chain narrative camp where it's, yeah, so it's exploitable so I, I think broadly what's, and again, I don't know the specific about Octopus, but I think there's a bunch of things that do this, where basically they have these routers and these routers are effectively acting as OTC desk and you can kind of string them together. So you want to go asset A to asset B across different chains, then you're basically creating some proposal with these routers who basically agree to do this swap for you and then you take your signature and then you basically submit it on the other side and, and they take your money and they give you money on the other side. So there's a bunch of things that happen with this and one that you need, uh, you know, like capital efficiency in terms of like the long tail of assets becomes pretty hard where like these routers need to, to have this asset on hand and do all of this. But the other is info asymmetry. So like whoever acts second in that transaction has a huge, huge, huge advantage. So uh, this is, you know, if you if you and I are performing a trade on a volatile asset um, and you ask me, you know, like whatever, it's, it's you know, uh, the asset price is 3,400 and you say, hey, uh, I want to swap this thing for 3,400. And by the time it gets to me, the asset could be 3,410 or it could be, uh, 3390 right and like obviously if it's uh if it's higher then i'll say yeah sure i'll definitely do that and if it's lower i'll say no and you'll have to submit the transaction again right there is no like pure animosity here the, the second person always has optionality and always has sort of info asymmetry 
Um, and there's like that, that is one sort of issue with these constructs that the way that they're being made is, is that itself, uh, whoever is acting as, as these routers or these sort of systems in between has this informational advantage, uh, that's like a structural advantage in, in how these things are being done. Um, but in terms of just swapping, so if you don't care about, if you don't care about messaging, if you don't care about all of the cool things you can do outside of pure value transfer, then it's a functional method, I think, for, for just swapping. I think it's reasonably viable. Okay. Okay, I think that's uh, pretty clear. Yeah, that's a very uh, democratic way to, to look at it. I think that's why like there hasn't really been much um, actual cross-chain stuff outside of swaps. Um even though it's these, these guys kind of all um, say that they can do it, but nothing has been really built on this. Um, you know, very complex DeFi stuff. And um, yeah, so I'm just looking through kind of your your progress um, over the past even two to three weeks. It looks like, so uh, Sushi, we mentioned, um, Yaron is also doing um, like testing their first, cross-chain yield balancing for uh, stablecoin vaults? Uh, like, how's that? Uh, were you guys aware? Are you working with them on this? And, and Yeah, uh, there's... there's uh, so, so, like I said, there's there are lots and lots of uh, very, very cool things happening right now that both have been announced, if you look around, like, quietly talked about and have not been announced. Um, I think, you know, again, we've, we've seen a huge, just kind of Cambrian explosion of the early NFT stuff, huge amount of NFT stuff happening now, a huge amount of gaming, but in terms of DeFi, there are a lot of integrations happening now. And I think over the next four weeks or so, you're going to see a lot of them start to either come to market or, or kind of expose their very formal plans on ways of doing this. Um, so yeah, I mean, sushi swap integration was definitely one, uh, but there are, you know, I probably talk to at least 10 teams a day right now who are building something. Wow. Um, it's been really crazy. Um, yeah. Awesome. That's, um, that's cool. I mean, 10 teams a day is a lot to, to go through. So kudos to you for actually helping so many teams. That's, it's amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I don't know if we have more questions other than like, I'm personally pretty convinced on, on, on this. Um, um, <laughs> um, yeah. So I think, uh, I think a question that I, I have also, uh, given that, um, you collateralize your loans on, on, uh, your funds on one chain to, and then borrow against on another chain. Um, what are the, uh, are there any methods to mitigate, um, I shouldn't say mitigate, but is there any uh, plans for like if Solana goes down or if, um, yeah, it, or if, like let's say um, Polygon goes down or one of these chains have uh, go down for offline for a, a period of time? Is there any um, course of action from uh, that can be taken by users? Yeah, so I mean, effectively, all of this lives above the uh, like above the technology layer so if you imagine layer zero is basically the internet like 
you might have an application that had a single server or whatever, even a collection of servers living in like Amazon, uh, like AWS US East. And if you were only there and weren't like redundant or didn't do anything else with your application, like when US East goes down, you're kind of wrecked for a little while. Like um, there was just, you, you have this sort of like liveness issue. Um, and so it's really on applications to design around that. So applications can design a flow where uh, you basically could have your application have accessibility on Polygon and Avalanche and Phantom and Ethereum and all of these other ecosystems. And that if one's down, you can have that action be interchangeable. But the technology layer, the internet doesn't really care, right? We don't, not that we don't care, we don't need to think about that component of it because we give optionality to application for how they want to handle it. Some applications will just say, it's can't it's it's down right now like polygons down okay you can't traverse your ghost to and from polygon because it's literally inaccessible as like a node in the network um but other applications may have issues where like you know they basically need to design for that around the application flow but i think the technology layer it's important to stay again lightweight extensible and modular so that applications can design around this you don't want all of these decisions to be made at the application layer in the same way you don't want like decisions around probabilistic finality to be made in the application layer so they're in the in the technology layer so like this is something i talk about a lot i've given this example all the time but like in the current construct of things when you deal with this stuff across chains you're going chain A to chain B and the technology layer just tells you like, hey, we're waiting five blocks or 10 blocks or 50 blocks or whatever it is, right? But you have all these different application needs where uh, the example I usually give is like, you're trying to verify on chain B that you own a copper sword in the game on chain A. And the other example is like, you're transferring like hundreds of millions of dollars. Like somebody did a $22 million transfer on Stargate today. And like those transfers, like the difference between those use cases have such different needs in terms of what they need for security and what they need for that, that building that into the application, uh, building that in the technology layer means somebody is either like wildly overpaying for security there, or somebody is not getting nearly enough security. And so really it's about like, you don't want any amount of extensibility, any amount of like moving that up the stack. So the technology layer can accommodate this, but does not set this. The technology layer is not like the arbiter of how this acts. You want to move that flexibility up to the application layer. And that's ultimately like what we really try to focus on. So again, for that specific problem, like applications can design around it however they want. At the end of the day, the technology layer will, will bring your message from chain A to chain B with 100% consistency. And when that chain comes back up, it will resubmit it and your message will go through and process. But like, uh, you know, the technology layer doesn't necessarily care. It's sending packets. It's moving information. Okay, nice. Nice. I think that's... Uh, yeah, I think that's a big step forward for a lot of this... Yeah, the the omnichain future that we're that we've been talking about. Um, and yeah, then, yeah I think a, that's it's nice. It's nice that uh, sushi is actually first to come across this uh, to to first integrate. Think since pretty early on, we've been like since the bridging kind of started and AVAX came off, Phantom with their grants and and us internally, like I think when we first started doing Alpha Lead calls. We were very bullish on um, 
omni-train we call it but like it was pretty much just cross-train bridging over and then we looked at okay sushi as um multi-chain support um kind of decks and then you have like beefy and things which are multi-chain aggregators that um n- doesn't actually cross chains but just support um all the chains and then like on their platform you can through the user interface discover new opportunities and do that yourself but yeah it's great that um you know these teams are, are the first to kind of um and even yearn uh we when they expanded to uh to phantom first it was a it was a big step i think um and curve and bullish war bullish and all of those but now that they actually have a solution to make this truly cross-chain um it's time we we run it back and uh see uh really what kind of cool stuff can come up yeah because we were we were pretty burnt by um so much bridging it it seemed cool it's like yeah so many chains like you know there's so much bd opportunity liquidity to tap into lending borrowing but it's it felt weird uh, doing it through bridging and like handling the user experience to to like support kind of omni chain. Um, so it does right like yeah. you do like when you're like sushi trying to swap right and you're like okay I'm gonna do this swap on sushi on Ethereum and then I'm gonna leave and go find some other bridge and like bridge across and then like maybe I'll make it back to sushi like it's yeah. very clear the applications designing like that this was not the experience they wanted this was not like how they expected this sort of uh, multi-chain uh, or omni-chain vision kind of to play out and so I think it is really cool to see the movement towards something that will be more truly integrated at the application level rather than just being piecemeal and being like, oh, hey, we we have this bridge where you can, you know, <laughs> mint, mint this synthetic asset or like do something. Like we'll get you over there, but uh, yeah. the applications themselves are still just fragmented forks. Yeah, and the fragmentation part was a big problem because when, you know, liquidity dried up, even us internally, when we were sharing stuff with each other, it quickly became PVP. It was even among us it was clear like nobody else is gonna go on like fuse uh, <laughs> yeah and like aurora early like it was just us and it was cool like i'm sure aurora team themselves can like identify you know okay what's what aurora is cool for what fuse is good good for and then like you know build the the cool use cases there but bridging it over it just defeats the whole purpose like in the end it all the traction stops after the first few dApps get built and then like big price crash come as the liquidity get pulled to the next chain that's fragmenting more and then you know it's like traction never picks up and the real innovation never comes yep awesome okay so yeah i think i think that's uh exciting we've been quietly hoping this will happen for a while so um cool uh do we have uh something kind of relatable luke yeah um <laughs> uh yeah i don't think there's anything too strong in news uh, that i have on my uh list here but i have quite a bit of uh yeah just like uh, common news um throughout the 
this sector throughout crypto. Cool. So, yeah, let's let's go over those. Like we usually um, have a bit of segment to cover kind of everything that went on and and uh, that could be alpha, and then we can you know get your feedback or not, um, and then we can we can discuss in kind of far side try style. Okay. Well, let me. Uh... Let me just uh, let me just pop a question over to Primo real quick, and this will be uh, so. The news here is Epic Games, uh, and uh, so Epic Games led a, a funding round, and they're um, they they raised funds funds from Lego and Sony. Uh, I forget how much, but to build a, a metaverse out. And since metaverse is such a, like a hot topic in crypto for the last. Uh, I think it's been over six months now. Um, I think we have a, there's definitely like a bridging dilemma here. Uh, like given that there's like the Ronin bridge and like these chains need, uh, you know, negligible fees to interact, but also, you know, you have a lot of the value capture for NFTs on, on Ethereum. So, uh, so Primo, like what do you think, how do you think, uh, like layer zero can, um, like bring the cross chain, uh, yeah, bring, bring not, not cross chain, bring omni chain to the metaverse. Yeah. So I think there's tons of cool things. So I, I mentioned this the other day at Avalanche. One thing I thought was really fun was games who are running their own Avalanche subnets who are basically creating this construct where you can do something that's really high throughput. You play this game, you spend a hundred hours, you click a thousand times, you do all this stuff in this game. And then as you do it, you basically, uh, you know, earn an achievement and you have this NFT that basically is your Twitter avatar. So you've got the hexagon on Twitter and that lives on Ethereum. It lives on Polygon, wherever that lives. And basically a message gets propagated out and updates the metadata in the NFT. So it mutates. And so your profile picture has a new crown because you beat a boss, has a new item because you got it. You know, there's tons of really cool things you can do at like the gaming and metaverse layer in terms of that side of things. But then more importantly, like everybody just wants interoperability between metaverses, right? People want to be able to take your Axie and put it in a sandbox or put it in you know, whatever these different applications are. And so I think, yeah, like, and then the other very common use case, obviously, is the Axie style, where you have this chain where, like, throughput happens. You have this high-throughput gaming chain where you're going to be playing on, and that's where the game lives and plays, but you still want to leverage Ethereum or, you know, insert whatever chain here, their uh, economic layer, their marketplace, their ability to basically have uh, consolidated liquidity, um, so there's, t there's tons of like ways that people are going to address this and it just depends on like what they're prioritizing, but our goal is just facilitate all of it, right? Make all of that as easy as possible. Yeah. Okay. So I, I've seen one big, um, talking point around Polkadot recently in terms of like gaming would be, um, I, I don't know exactly what the, um, the mechanism is that does this, but they, uh, I think it's like the CMXP or something like that. It's, it's yeah, XCMP. XCMP. Yeah, yeah. XCMP. Um, it. 
So I, I was listening to Donnie Big Bags talk about it, and he was saying that um, on his game, even knowing that your assets are going to be on Moon River, that when you mine your assets, that they're going to be, um, they're going to be able to move cross chain almost instantly as soon as you get them. Uh, do you think that's going to be viable for layer zero, or do you think there'll be a lag time like like so for? Um, like the Ronin chain, like if every two weeks they'll have a SLP emission, um, or like every two week period from the last time you you know started initiating your play. So it, would there be a chunk of time where there would need to get these assets deployed, or would it be instantaneous? So XMP is just like a messaging standard, right? It's just like a protocol for sending messages. So yeah, absolutely. The, the question just comes a factor of cost, right? Like, do you want to be writing messages to the Ethereum blockchain every, you know, time you do something? Like, no, because you're spending $30 per like action, right? So the question is more an experience that you're making. How do you batch this, right? When you're on Ethereum, or sorry, when you're on like Avalanche and you want to go to Solana or Polygon or like some other chain that's very cheap, well, then this becomes extremely cheap and you're totally content to do that. So maybe from Solana, you're happy to like propagate out to other chains, to Polkadot, to all these other chains, whatever that might be, extremely frequently because the cost is like near free or enough that like you're not going to notice it relative to what you're doing. Uh, but if you want to touch Ethereum, if you want to touch chains where those those uh, transaction costs are higher, then that that becomes a problem. So it has nothing to do with the technology layer. Any any te like layer zero can make that in the same thing. And as soon as the thing is mined, you can immediately propagate out a message. That's no problem. The question is, do you want to? Right. So most of the batching is actually a function of cost more than anything else. Okay. Yeah, that makes one hundred percent sense. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think you answered that question pretty, pretty well. Um, and then also, I think building upon this, and I think this is just my inexperience with layer zero, but uh, are you guys able to have uh, privacy chains also? Because, uh, yeah, are you guys able to support privacy chains uh, with layer zero? Yeah, so... Theoretically, from the research that we've done on it now is we should be able to. There's no reason why we shouldn't. You're basically just taking this proof. This is it's like with ZKP stuff. You're taking this proof and you're basically proving it on another chain. So you're taking this transaction proof. So if they can write a proof that proves that some state on the chain existed or some action happened, then you can take that and you can move it and you can use that receipt to trigger some action on another chain. So that's no issue, no problem. Uh, but how that proof construction works, how you're validating, there's there's like some technical sort of gritty work that needs to happen for that to happen. Um, in the same way for us enabling Bitcoin and like a couple other things that have less uh, robust smart contract layers. Um, well, then there's sort of a whole nother set of things that need to be thought about in terms of how how you actually approach this or what is the best way for doing this. So this is all stuff we spend a ton of time on. Um, but yeah, there is, there is no reason why we would not be able to do a privacy chain. Okay, sweet. Um, building upon that, any privacy chains that you guys are eyeing up <laughs> down the line? Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, we've, uh, you know, we've spoken to many of them. Um, we have, you know, reasonable ties to people at Monero, have spoken to Zcash, have spoken to Secret, have spoken to... A couple of others. Um, so yeah, I, I think 
we're on most people's radar. Uh, and of course, they are also on ours. So it's, it's really a prioritization around like the way that we prioritize right now internally is, is just on activity. We want to be on the most active ecosystem. So if people are building cool projects, cool products, and they're shipping them or these chains have a lot amount of activity, then like that's where we want to be because ultimately like that's the thing that we're optimizing for. We're optimizing for the most messaging, the most volume, the most like, how do we address sort of the broadest possible market? How do we make the coolest things possible? Well, the coolest things are usually the ones that like the most people are using interacting with. So uh, that like, that's how we're prioritizing. We will be everywhere eventually. It's just a function of, of when. Nice. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I can't wait for a lot of those privacy bridging. I uh, I hate bridging over to privacy chains currently. Um. Yeah. So I, I think the other big news coming out of like the last couple of days is the the Uniswap ventures. Um. Yeah, and they they announced a. <laughs> A, a a ventures for their uh what's the saying live live long enough to see yourself become a, a fund mm. in crypto well you you, so, you may ha- you may have noticed that uniswap invested in our last round right so i think we were one of their very first oh nice well i mean what a <laughs> uh already coming out the gate hot i guess so yeah <laughs> I saw this uh, funny comment, like um, maybe invest in yourself first. <laughs> These guys were pretty, uh, pretty pissed off on uh, about the announcement uh, for price action. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's cool though. It, I mean, they're they literally invented this AMM. So um, if anyone is to support swapping technology, it should be done. So they definitely have kind of a, a lot to give there. Um, absolutely yeah yeah um yeah building upon that we have the the coinbase board eight dot club news uh <laughs> oh, oh that's that's weird that's another person who wrote a check into our last round imagine that <laughs> i'm just gonna be burning bridges this entire <laughs> the rest of the interview here um yeah but no they they're coming out with a trilogy movie uh coming out um, I don't know necessarily when, and you can sign over your IP uh, for your ape or, or something like that. I don't know necessarily the terms there, but for 15k and I think some royalties. But uh, yeah, I think the NFT people are getting jibbed by Coinbase from what I've read. <laughs> um, I would say that. No, that's yeah. Go ahead, baby. That's not. That's not the first time this has happened in this space, you know? Uh, no, I think, I think it's really interesting. I think moving the, like, ownership, moving actual ownership rights to users is super, super, super interesting. And I think this will be the first of many cases in, like, how that IP gets applied. Uh, there's this question around, like, well, if, you know, you can only if you can only get like a low tier of, of people, like let's say there's only 20 people who accept this deal and the others are on, it's like, it's 20 enough. Are you going to take like 20 mediocre apes and not have any of like the coolest, most prominent, most popular apes in this movie? 
Uh, well, that kind of sucks. It's like the movie maker. So do you offer more? Do you like, how, how do you go around this? And so it's a really weird, like coordination problem between people in terms of like, what do you offer at some point? The studio probably just like buys up some of the assets themselves uh, and keeps the sort of revenue rights. Um, yeah, it's super, super, super interesting. And uh, I'm sure will be the first of many. Yeah, that's actually a really good point that you brought up. Um, because I, I saw someone else, uh, another Board Ape Yacht Club holder, saying that he got around 100000 And um, I think uh, I think he was the one who got royalties for the movie. And um, yeah, it, like I said, though, it's like they they have sort of the, the mass... Um, you know they're putting they have a way bigger uh, fishnet to to catch people with so i think like you said if they only get 10 people or so to sign up their apes uh then that should be enough to for a movie but like you said it, it's it's not uh you know it's none of the the gold apes or any of the uh zombie apes or any of the apes that you would necessarily want to see so there is sort of a um, yeah, this interesting dynamic that's emerging with intellectual property here. 100%. Yeah, I, I think, uh, again, it is it is very similar to like, I don't want to say like a strike and like, you know, you have, you have people striking and people like scabbing, but like there's this, yeah, there's this whole thing where obviously the, the movie studio, like their goal is to, to produce a movie for as cheap as possible. And it's the people's goal is like the collective rights holders to figure out how, how do they coordinate? What is their stance? What do they want from that? What kind of negotiating power do they have? Um, yeah. Very, very, very interesting social coordination problem. Yeah. It's the first time we're seeing it in such a big, uh, from Coinbase to such a big uh, entity. Okay, um, so I guess moving on, um, over the weekend we had the, the Ichi collapse. <laughs> um, yeah, so if, uh, for those that don't know much about Ichi, they issued um, uh, project-backed stablecoins backed um, mostly with uh, USDC and then uh, a little bit of a particular protocol. Uh, and then they use the liquidity to to um, create buy walls to to elevate their Ichi price, essentially. Or no, no, no. I'm 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 mix. I think I'm mixing this up a little bit, but um, yeah. So over the weekend, they had a, a liquidation cascade, and they crashed from I think 140 dollars to I think they're six now. And uh, yeah. Uh, Kind of a crazy event around Twitter, uh, more than anything. And, yeah, um, I, I think this is another example of many and the fact that, like, I've never seen a single floor price play out well. I've been here for nine years, going on 10 soon, and a lot of people have tried to put up floor prices, and uh, I think every single one of them has moved below after. So doing it where it's existential is, it's a bold move. Um 
Yeah, even even you know Bancor, there, there's been so many instances of people who set up price floors that just were eaten into uh, eventually. But I saw that this one was like ex- exceptionally fast. Yeah, <laughs> it was a it was a good Ponzi, and then it cracked a little too quick. <laughs> I uh, yeah, I definitely have some red bags now. Took a little bit of an L there. Um, Your Tijan score definitely went up. Yeah, no. <laughs> every single day. <laughs> nice. Um, okay, so I the rest of this is mostly doom and gloom from here on out, uh, which I kind of hate. But uh, so a big theme that I've seen a lot recently is the DeFi underperformance. Uh, so like along with this, there's like four percent farming yields for stables, and um, if you compare the vast majority of DeFi projects to ETH, they've drastically underperformed. And uh, this is kind of a narrative going into a potential bear market that we're entering. And yeah, I... Primo, fat because... Fat protocol you, thesis. <laughs> I'm sorry, what was that? I said fat fat protocol thesis, right? That was always yeah, the, all the big, the... big narrative prior, right? Is... Mm-hmm. Does value accrue at the application layer, or does it accrue at the at the protocol layer? And, and what is the ratio? Like, what is the proper ratio between them? And I, I think it has historically always accrued to the protocol layer. But then there's very interesting cases where, like, you'll have applications that are fifty percent of a chain's total volume, but valued at like some tiny fraction of, of what the protocol is valued at. So like, what is the actual correct ratio between them? Uh, it's certainly an, an unanswered question, but, but I think as, as you know, this has been talked about for a very, very, very long time. Yeah. I don't even think it's uh it's actually like based on the mechanism design. It's more personal, like, especially so when you have fragmented liquidity like it's these products getting built and but not being very innovative and they're still getting funded and those funding are coming in to support the the native gas token not the products token anyways so it's um all those players within like the the only few people that might be interested to hold that applications token is like retail. So yeah, that never works out well. But hopefully we can change that with a uh, cross chain. Yeah. So, but you have to rethink everything. If it's just a, a Uniswap, but cross chain, then that shouldn't be a separate project. But yeah, if the it's qu- like, yeah, the question yeah. is like, can you, so now can Uniswap the application or SushiSwap the application or whatever this application is that's building, can they accrue value from 10 different chains in the same way they accrue value for one, right? How mm-hmm. does that scale? Is it linear? Is it non-linearly? Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it will be very, very interesting. It sort of depends on where the consumer lives, where the volume and the TVL lives, and what that looks like for fee accrual, but uh, yeah, there's there's a bunch of things that that can be different there than what we've seen so far. It's a so, very interesting thought. 
<laughs> um, I can can point to some very different ecosystems, even though they seem the same from the outside. That their uh, their ecosystem, how they work with projects, are, are very different. So their their liquidity also kind of stays, versus most others are uh, fragmented and mercenary. Um, you were saying, Luke? Sorry. Yeah. So I was just going to put up a. Just a random question uh, is like, what would be the f the narrative flip for DeFi that would make it uh, go into a boom cycle again? Because like, I essentially how I've been looking at B DeFi is it's this is its first ever bear market, so I think you know these massive pullbacks are, are warranted. Or do you guys think that DeFi has just been underperforming compared to these uh, layer ones because of how they accrue value? Yeah, I mean, I, I think broadly, it really depends on like, what is DeFi? DeFi was being priced as if it will be the financial rails of the future system, right? And, and maybe there was, you know, this period of euphoria where we're pricing it as if, you know, that would be, that was a guaranteed thing or that volume would scale in the same sort of cadence that it had scaled in the six months prior leading up to that. Um, and I think the question really becomes like, yeah, what 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 does actual usage look like? What does actual adoption look like? What does it look like when these large like another entity that wrote a check into our round was PayPal, right? Like uh, we're the first one they've ever done that for 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 any token project. And so, you know, what what does it look like when entities like PayPal, when entities uh, you know of similar size and scale start playing around with this stuff? Are we talking? you know, tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold, a hundred thousandfold in terms of like volume and potential and adoption. Uh, are they going to be actively like, is the end consumer going to be interacting with DeFi? And like, what does that ultimately look like? And so I think there's just like a huge amount of unknowns. I think what, what the next bull case for DeFi looks like is, is, is real adoption, real sort of, uh, broad integration or usage or uh, doing something more like the whole first phase was showing off, hey, we made something novel. This is cool. And it could do a ton of things. The potential in this is immense. Um, but that's exactly what it was. There's this cool thing with immense potential. And so the question is, are, are we going to get the realization of that? Is, is how I, that's how I view it. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I, I agree, and I, I think it's something that it's, it's ultimately like kind of an unanswer unanswerable question right now. Um, anyways, uh, I think the last thing that I think is has any importance um, was the Celsius news, uh, and this kind of goes off of DeFi pretty well, I think, and. Um, so I think starting April 15th, uh, American users can no longer earn yield on their um, their assets in, in Celsius. I've never used it, so I'm, I, I lack knowledge there. But um, yeah, and I, I think this is kind of the, the, uh, the beginnings of kind of more crackdown on, on crypto as we... Um, yeah, as it continues to grow and challenges these legacy services. 
So, uh, yeah, I think that was the, kind of the last interesting bit of news for, you know, the last few days. Uh, any any thoughts or anything on that? Yeah, man, I, I think it sucks broadly for the ecosystem. Like, I think nobody wants to see, started with BlockFi, moving to Celsius, etc. Like, nobody wants to see the removal of optionality uh, for anybody. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't have any any real interesting thoughts on it other, other than that it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is, in, is Block... Uh... Is it Blockfolio? I'm already forgetting BlockFi. Yeah, They're, yeah, uh, block, yeah, BlockFi. Uh, you can't earn yield in the U.S. I remember that being a news story a while ago, so I'm having a hard time recalling. Yeah, I forget the exact specifics of it, but it was something very similar where New Jersey basically gave them issues for providing variable yield within the U.S., which is why like some other platforms have moved to like providing static yield or like there's there's some things that potentially people could do um but i think broadly like that was the issue for them as well as celsius yeah yeah i mean i i guess it's just the bull case for for DeFi as as we grow and hopefully uh we can continue to make it more decentralized and uh yeah, kind of bring the vision of true DeFi into the space, which I don't think is a, a reality just yet. Work, work in progress, hopefully. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that's it for my end. If anybody wants to round it off with something else, then be my guest. Uh, I'm pretty pretty good as well. Hope, uh, you know, this... Uh... Everything goes well with, uh, with macro and with market and um, DeFi. DeFi has been always cool. It's just, you know, it, it sucks that uh, it's a little bit too, um, uh, how do you say, revolutionary, I think. And, and uh, the way it launched with yield farming is a little bit too um, mercenary to begin with. And, and we just saw like kind of, Fork after fork after fork, and then chain fork, chain fork, and now you know we're here. But hopefully we can we can bring it back soon because everyone now that uh, is still around and building in DeFi, um, it, it's pretty clear. Uh, speculators know as well, like what's actually new, and what's just um, funding someone else's bag, and uh, hopefully DeFi is up only from here. Um, because fundamentally, it's it's very cool technology. Agreed, hundred percent. Yeah, amen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think that's a great place to end it for me. Yeah, uh, thanks for coming on, Primo. Um, yeah, let us know if uh, if there's anything we should follow for for Stargate or um, for the uh, upcoming kind of integration that you hinted at. Uh, I think. Very exciting stuff. Awesome. Thanks so much, guys. Uh, yeah, I mean, for updates, my Twitter is probably the most active, although we'll change that over time to where Stargate and Laser Twitters are a little bit more active. Um, but yeah, follow follow me, follow one of them. Uh, we'll try to make sure everybody stays on top of kind of everything we're doing. Awesome.
Thanks, right. everyone. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. You too. Yeah. Have a thanks, good one. everybody.